July. Uh, for those who are joining us for the first time, this is well, we're here every day, uh, 8 a.m., well, every weekday, one should say, where we're here to discuss the key topics everyone is talking about related to work, workplace, productivity, and employee experience. So okay. if this is your first time coming across here, please hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, and it would be a real help to the channel if you give us a thumbs up. That lets other people know that uh, you're enjoying this content and uh, allows YouTube, Facebook, or wherever else you're watching uh, this this live stream to uh, to know that, uh, yeah, we should let other people know. So who are we? My name is Steve Todd. I am the founder of Open Source Workplace, Global Head of Workplace at NASDAQ, and my co-host, Mike Petreski, not Petruski as we learned on uh, on Friday, host of the Workplace <laughs> Innovator Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Good morning, Happy Steve. Monday, man. Happy Monday. Yes, yes. And I gave you the thumbs up because I'm happy to be here. I have clicked that subscribe button. Good man. What is the other thing you do? Hit that notification bell. And give us the thumbs up so that uh, the video gets up. liked. Yeah. yeah. That's, right. a, that's important right. because, uh, you know, it, it just allows everyone to know that, uh, yeah, this stuff ain't too bad. You know, there's some value here. There's some value. Absolutely. So, How was your weekend? How was your weekend, weekend before we get into it? Yeah, before we get into this stuff, absolutely. Got a absolutely. full slate today, but I uh, got to hear do. how you're doing. You're in a you're in a chipper mood. You're in a you're in a swell mood this morning. Swell. I am in a swell and a chipper mood. It's Mike. neat. It's it neat to neat. see. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. I see, I see it. I see you're bringing all these U.S. acronyms. But uh, no, it was good. A great weekend. Um, got a lot of exercise. Enjoyed the weather. Uh, what about nice. yourself? What about yourself? What did you get up to? Had the family over for the outdoor in the garage, you know, social distanced, wind swept, uh, you know, hot, uh. a little hot and sweaty, but it was okay. It wasn't as bad as we had thought it was going to be heat wise. Mm. Little cloud cover kept the temperatures in a reasonable state. So we had a really good time catching yeah, up with yeah, my parents. It's been a few weeks and, you know, uh, it was it was nice to see them again. Good. Good, good, good. Glad to hear. And yeah. did, you, did you get caught in the weather over the weekend? Because Saturday, Saturday evening here was was horrendous. Um, I think that uh, that big storm kind of passed us to the to the east, north, uh, uh, east across okay. the uh, ocean. Then it came up hit hit you guys. But yeah. uh, DC was just a scattering of thunderstorms, typical summer storms, but nothing too bad. Were you? Uh, which day was that for you? And did it damper so your activities? Friday, Friday, Friday was was bad. Um, and then Saturday evening, so I was able to out, out yeah. in the bike during Saturday, and then yesterday was beautiful. It was just like so hot, so nice. I was able to get out on the bike and uh, yeah, work work up nice. a little bit of a sweat. So Mike, so what are we going to talk about today? And we, we've pulled up a Let's, lot of stuff here today. Uh, yes, there's we have. a lot. So uh, we're going to talk about a JLL article, um, the future of global office demand. Um, a little cynical, but there's some important points I think in this JLL article that we'll we'll touch on. Um, then a Harvard Business Review, uh, rethinking work schedules, uh, consider these four questions. And, and I'm kind of laughing because the audience can't see what you're doing, Mike, and I can. And it's just like, it's, it's kind of, uh, I'm excited to actually allow people to see what you're actually doing right now as soon as I take this off the screen. Uh, and then five things you can do to increase your job security during COVID-19. This is an article from a, a reputable uh, online channel. It's called Open Source Workplace. So it'll be uh, interesting to see some of you hear your views on this. And then AI, AI on washing hands, Mike. Can AI help us in washing hands? So, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so here we go. What yep. does Mike look like? Yep. And, and this is where I'm trying to do Maybe my thing. Can. Keep my straight face. And there's Mike sitting there with glasses and uh, his, his mug of coffee. <laughs> 
I don't, what did you? I sent you that kind of in, in a. You did. You what, did offline. You did, and I just email. went yep, and I just and, I just had uh, to go with it. I just had to go with it. I man. didn't know you. I didn't know you were going to take that and use it on on air, but that's fine. Bitmojis, <laughs> folks. You guys are familiar with the Bitmojis. Have a lot of fun with those. Yeah, I know it's. But good. great it's topics. Good. I had no idea what you were talking about. You didn't uh, actually send me the articles. You sent me the nice summaries. But I, I have opinions. You know I have opinions. So let's get to it. I'm ready to go. Oh, did, did, I, did, I, did I do a, do a bad thing to you, Mike? Did I set you up no, for, it's a, good. for a disaster? I wouldn't have read them anyway. You know me. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I know that. I'm just, I'm just playing. I'm playing. I know you do. I know you do. So and I'm debuting a new mug before we get into oh, it. Oh, uh, oh, oh, in oh. honor of Disney reopening this past weekend, Disney World in Florida, uh, my kids gave me uh, a new Mickey Mouse mug with my name on it. So nice. Uh, nice. There you go, everybody. Nice. Uh, we hope for the best. You know, I, I know it's a scary time with living with COVID-19, but uh, this is my attitude. It's, it's listen, I, I want to see great organizations figure out how to re-establish their workforce and, and keep us uh, going economically, but also be safe, keep public health in mind. And, and there's a lot of criticism, obviously, because they're trying this to reopen the parks and those who don't like Disney World or have never been or have no kids and don't really have an interest in going, I get it. It's an easy target to pile on, and it's it's a you know risky proposition. But I think everything that we do is risky, and 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 they seem to be doing everything as far as following the CDC guidelines, and and are going to try to keep this uh, thing going. This great thing I think they have down there, a great happy place on Earth, and if they could do it successfully while keeping everyone safe and healthy, I'm rooting for them. I don't want to see. Uh, people hurt or ups or uh, you know a spike in cases, but uh, I know it's a big controversial point, and that's not what this show is about. But it, it ties in when we're talking about workplaces trying to reopen and it and does. do it safely. It does, and actually, if you take the principles and what you just discussed there, and you apply it to this JLL article that you sent through, Mike, which I thought was was great, um, I think you can sort of apply some of what you've just said to the viewpoints that JLL are trying to put across here. So the future of global office demand. Now I'm a little skeptical with their first opening line of this article, increased working from home doesn't equate to less demand. Now obviously JLL being a real estate brokerage firm, um, mm -hmm. I can understand mm -hmm. why that opening sentence would be important to them. But right. if we think about, um, if we think about what the, uh, I just noticed something on screen actually, I don't think, we're actually seeing the entire uh, screen here, uh, but what's that? I'm seeing we'll, it. It looks oh, good. Seeing, it looks yeah. good on my okay. end. Yep. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. So, and this is what they're trying to say, right? Increased working from home doesn't necessarily equate to, to a decrease in demand of office space, right? And obviously, they went through the various factors here. But the key things that I, I wanted to sort of touch on, Mike, and, and obviously you can share some of your your opinions here, was, you know, the remote work. What is remote working? Will it will it be a hybrid thing? Will it be something that we we, we all do on a part time basis? Therefore, it doesn't equate to a decrease in actual real estate. And the the one that actually caught my attention the most, I have to confess, was number four commuting. And we talked about it a little bit on Friday. It's you know for us to really assess how things are going to trans trans you know change over the period of time we have to probably look at other benchmarks other markers outside our traditional kpis we looked at on friday about the housing market the rental markets you know and we showed how big cities are decreasing and the suburbs around them are increasing in rents 
Therefore, you know, you yep. look at the supply and demand. And if we think about commuting, how is commuting going to be changed? And actually, in this JLL article, that's where they spent a lot of their energy or a lot of their um, space, if you want, real estate on the on, on the actual article, um, explaining um, the commuting and the idea of it. You know, understanding that how is commuting going to impact, and and how will that evolve over time? So, Mike, what, two what, points. What? Yeah, two things. Great, great, great intro. Great setup there for the article, and I'm glad you touched on the fact that it was from JLL, and you had some skepticism because you have taught me as I read and consume <laughs> information during this period of time, and really during any time, we need to be asking that question. Uh, of ourselves and of the source material. You know, what's the motivation behind the article? What's the what's the perspective? What's the agenda, if there is one? And again, I don't I don't give any uh, negative um, uh, implications to JLL for trying to put a positive as positive as possible, such as depend on the situation and, and, and with their best interest in mind. And they're trying to make their business decisions, just like any other real estate company would be. And just like We'll tie it into the, the opening here. Disney wants to reopen their parks. There's a financial uh, interest in getting those things back up and running and getting the visitors back in. And uh, so whatever news you're looking at, whatever article you're reading, think about the question behind the question and wonder who it is that's saying it. So with that said, and I'm glad you mentioned that, I, I tend to be hopeful again, being someone in the world of real estate and workplace and, and wanting to see uh, a, a nuanced approach to living with COVID and, and getting through this pandemic and getting to the other side of it. Certainly, I am very interested in knowing how workforces will adapt and how we'll change and what the needs of the employees will be going forward. And those were addressed. And, and I think re remote work is going to increase as it has in these last few months and will is here to stay. I, I think we've established that that's our opinion. Um, could be wrong. You know, we could get past the COVID-19 pandemic, it could could go away next year. Everybody feels comfortable again and goes back to work, but I don't think so. So, but we don't know. And that's the point of these articles. What makes them all so great is that, and I would hope that we do here that's different than what we do, that others do elsewhere, is we don't come at these things with a, with a preconceived notion or a end game in mind and say, let's fit the facts into our mm -hmm. narrative and find, find the, and cherry pick the articles that will tell us what we want to hear uh, we look at the information. We see it's being presented by a lot of great experts, people who know these markets and know how human beings behave typically and, and have historical context. But we are in an unprecedented time, so none of us know exactly what the future is going to be. So uh, that commuter piece is something I didn't even think about at the beginning of this pandemic until you brought it to my attention. And it was it certainly became a, a bigger thing that was was really jumped out at me whenever I read articles. And I see it again and again is that it's not just about preparing safe workplaces and, and making people comfortable in our office settings, but also getting them there and dealing with all the personal different, you know, needs and, and positions of, of every individual. So it's a very interesting article and um, there's a big research report behind it. I think if you're interested in that type yeah. of thing, you yeah. know, JLL has been putting out a lot of great research reports and I would recommend people check it out for more details. But um, that's my take on it. And you being a, a commuter or someone living in New York City, uh, that that piece of it is important to you, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, it absolutely is, and it will be a big factor determining when um, I go back to the office. 
Uh, and, and, but you also mentioned a great point there, Mike. You know, I think what we all have to do is, you know, we share this, and yes, we have that skepticism. But to your point, these are, you know, highly knowledgeable people who are putting this, these reports together, and we have to listen, right? Irrespective of how skeptical we are, there is facts, there's information in there that you know we can we can take away from, we can think about, um, and sort of yep. ponder, you know, fr from there. So I'm glad you mentioned that. The, the second article, which which what, actually before I move to the second article, there is one thing that it did touch on in this article. We're part of the room working is flexible hours, right? So how will people work? Will people have staggered times? Will there be shift patterns? What are sort of things that are going to evolve over time? And that nicely dovetails into, and they mentioned the importance of it, and nicely dovetails into our second Um so how should we, and it's the Harvard Business Review article we looked at, and it was rethinking work schedules. You know, should we be rethinking how people are working? You know, and if so, we'll consider these four questions. How does my organization's schedule practice affect employees' effectiveness and well-being? So as we think through whatever way we're going to work in the future, be it all in office, be it work from home, or be it a hybrid solution, um, how is the scheduling going to impact employee effectiveness? Can we align our work schedules with the needs, desires, and personalities of our employees? Really important questions, right? Um, and, and one of the things that we're all learning, Mike, I think through this is we're able to integrate work and life so much better through the pandemic than I think anyone ever Im imagined that we could. You know, we've often talked about that work-life balance, but I actually think, I think this is allowing people to weave um, those two those two components and I think that's one of the reasons are the attractiveness of working from home be it whether it's a hundred percent or be it uh, in, in a part-time way um, and yeah this so is a great one this, go ahead finish your thought no no it was what was going to go ahead. I don't always just read read from from what's on on the screen but the, the last sort of the, just to read this bold piece right the key will be finding a balance between short-term business needs and long-term benefits that new scheduling strategies bring to both employees and the organization. And, you know, as I thought about that piece, Mike, what sort of went through my head is, you know, if I think about how I work, if I think about how other people on my team work, if I think how other people in the organizations work, as I think about how you and I both work and how we're let that a little bit different, is like, how do we align those schedules, uh, work processes, um, and also we think about how we perform and project manage things. Do we have to shift, or can we shift scheduling that best fits when people are feel they're the most productive? And also, can we can we amend or align processes that actually fit those individuals within teams to actually be their most productive? So I. I where my head is with this, I'm a very much a morning person. My afternoons is I, I struggle to maintain energy in the you afternoons. Know this about you. Yes. <laughs> and uh, but but I also know that there's many people on my team actually are the reverse, right? They right. they're high energy in the evenings. So I then go back to an interview that I posted with uh, Ryan Anderson, who talks about synchronize and asynchronize. Uh, collaboration so is there ways that we shift how we collaborate rather than everyone being together at the same time be it in a room be it on a zoom whatever it is can we structure those processes to take advantage of people's flexibility and schedules but also when they feel that they're most productive so that's what i took away when i thought about it and read this article yeah great topic and something that i've been 
interested in recently, certainly here in the D.C. area. A lot of my friends, a lot of my colleagues are in the government work. Some are doing classified work. They work at skiffs where they could not continue doing what they do during the initial lockdowns. And, and they just shut down completely and were not able to grab their laptops and bring them home and because of security reasons. So it's a small percentage of the overall workforce, I'm sure. And, and certainly you and I haven't really talked too much about this, but now we are learning from what they've been doing for these last three, four months. They've been doing staggered schedules almost since the beginning because work needed to continue. We had you know, imperatives that needed to take place, projects needed to go on. And a lot of my friends were going in on a either every other week or every third week basis in the very beginning of the pandemic. And now it's gotten into a more routine schedule where they're still not at full capacity, but they're getting, you know, their teams together better uh, and kind of adapted to the situation here four or five months in. And by maybe the end of the summer, they'll find a way to get everybody back, but with some slight, like you say, shift in schedule. But those those lessons are learned in a lot of ways. So I think we can we can learn from organizations that have uh, been essential workers and not just government and and uh, top secret stuff, but 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 people who have continued to work in other industries. You know, I know a lot of people in the uh, janitorial industries and, and facility management, you know, services, essential services, keeping the airports running, keeping, uh, you know, retail restaurants and not, not so much retail, but but um, uh, not so much restaurants, but I, I mean, like grocery stores, supply chain. So. They've been doing it on a, on a staggered schedule to keep the distance, keep the safety of their employers top of mind. So that's interesting to me. And, and I'd love any time you say the word schedule. So I think this is a good, <laughs> good topic. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. My, uh, my, my British, my British sayings come on out, I guess. Right. I love it. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's great. And then another, the next article that we want to touch on is it sort of a continuation, I think, from what we discussed on Friday, Mark Cuban's interview with CNBC about the questions that, you know, interviewers should ask interviewees, um, mm -hmm. as we go through the pandemic, right? Taking, okay, so how did you spend your time? What did you learn during the pandemic? In other words, trying to, see how people self-develop, take opportunities to learn, to develop, and, and obviously progress, and, and be able to the ability to see change. So this one is, is something we published in Open Source Workplace, and it's five things you could do to increase your job security during COVID. So it's almost looking at, okay, so here is what can you do? How can you basically ensure that uh, you have job security? There, there's no, there's no, I, I say to ensure, there's obviously no assurity in this, but- uh, No guarantees. There's no Steve, guarantees, but... I know, I know. But in essence, it sort of highlights, okay, what are the things that you can do, right? Uh, adaptability, right? So how adaptable are you? How, how can you fluctuate between tasks, between subjects, skill sets, how, how can you change your mindset? Innovative, uh, what's your ability to learn, right? What is your attitude towards learning, right? So what are you doing? And again, you connect this with what Mark Cuban was saying on Friday, or what we published on Friday was, you know, your learning attitude. How can you demonstrate that you're prepared to learn, that you're prepared to actually connect with people, you're connect, prepared to connect with other people and other organizations within your organization to bring influence, um, to bring knowledge to your company and actually show that. And then the last one is empathy. You know, it's it's such a big topic and I think it's really come to the foresight of um, the office, the work yep. organizations mm -hmm. during this time. The amount of empathy that actually is shown between people 
uh, within organizations, outside organizations, I think is um, is a skill set that I think we're it's, it's a muscle that we're all learning how to use and utilize. Um, so it's it's a it's it's a really really interesting um, article. Again, open source workplace. So check out the links below. We've put links to all these all these articles, and you can go check them out uh, if it's uh, if something is of interest to you. So so Mike, whenever you think about that, what 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 sort of thoughts do you have? I love the word empathy and the fact that to me it's just to define it is putting myself in someone else's shoes. You know, thinking mm -hmm. about whatever the topic, whatever the issue from someone else's perspective. And that's been necessary during this pandemic experience, during the lockdown, as we, you know, you and I would talk about how we're doing pretty good and working from home and being comfortable at it and can see ourselves doing it for a long, long time. But we had to empathize with those who didn't have the same setup as far as home office space. You know, the fact that no kids were running around here. And this is going to happen time and again, being have, having as, as leaders, as workplace leaders, as organizational leaders, empathizing with your workforce and understanding that no one solution is going to fit all. And then to be understanding and, and, and try to work with individuals based on their particular level, level of vulnerability and their particular feelings about blank, whatever we're talking about. So whether it's return to office, whether it's remote work, whether it's, you know, changing roles and responsibilities. I think all those points in the article are excellent as far as be adaptable. And if someone asks you to do something, do it, say yes, try it, see what you can do to be a value to the organization. But don't wait. Also, I've really felt it's important not to wait for your organization to come to you and say, this is your new role and responsibility during COVID-19. Be, as you said in the article, innovative, be creative, be thinking outside the box. And now you have to be proactive, put yourself forward and say, I have an idea here at risk yep. of being shot down or being looked at as like, no, that wasn't a great idea. And it hurts when you put an idea. I do it all the time. I'll put ideas forward that then I'll be informed. Well, we can't do it that way because of this, that or the other. And I didn't know that. So you don't know until you try and no one likes to be shot down. No one likes to be told no. But in these times, I think that's one of the, the key elements, the key attributes of a, of a, adaptable uh, person that's going to be valuable to the organization going forward. No, it is. It is. And uh, again, I just love how all these things come together, all those various subject matters, you know, as we sort of intertwine and, and keep everything, everything aligned. Yeah. Yeah. Have you it thought is. now, here's the thing you probably haven't thought of, and I didn't really think about it until this was brought to my attention, but all this conversation currently in the news about reopening schools in the fall or even next month. August is when schools traditionally reopen. Uh, I have a couple teachers in my family. So a cousin who's a librarian, my sister who's a, a reading specialist. My wife works at a school. And even that close to home, I wasn't connecting all the dots when it comes to reopening schools and the different attitudes about it. It's it's like opening reopening the office conversations we've had here on steroids because I don't think teachers – in many ways have that choice. They have to be, if their school says we're going to have in-person learning this fall, you're going to be, need to be there. We're going to get very quickly into that decision time. Do you go forward and, and put yourself at risk if you feel you're vulnerable and so forth? And some are like, I'm very anxious to get back. Some are not. There's different opinions as far as what the best strategy is. Empathy is that word that's going to mm. come to this level of importance, whether it, you know, and also just flexibility. We have to we have to find alternative paths. We can't have a one size fits all solution.
whether it's returning to schools or returning to offices. And I hope we find ways to do it in a caring, empathetic way. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find ways to, to meet the needs of everybody. But we also, as, as individuals, have to be willing to take on maybe a level of discomfort and, uh, and try to weigh the risks and, and, and put ourselves out there and not so much risk public health or risk your health if you are in a position of vulnerability. But if it's more um, like me, if it's, if it's me feeling I'm pretty low risk about going into an office and there's an opportunity for me to go to an office to interview somebody, for example, I've had this kind of scenario in my mind. Will I do that? And I think I will. I think I have to get out of my comfort zone here and, and start, you know, be part of the solution. And, um, again, there's no perfect scenario. There's no risk-free existence. We can mitigate the risks, follow all the protocols, wear your masks, keep your distance, uh, wash your hands and, and let's hope for the best. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a tough one whenever you think about those schools. Um, mm. And I, I saw on the news, it was the last night's broadcast, I watched it this morning, talking about kids going back to school. And the key things coming out that I took away from the actual um, broadcast was kids don't spread COVID like adults. So they don't need to wear a mask. They don't need to do this. And this was pediatrics sent all this. Now, if I'm watching this and I'm going, really? This sounds kind of strange. Do they know? Strange because I think, you know, COVID is a form of flu. And we all know that schools are the spreaders of the flu. And I'm like, your question to me just now was my thought. Do they know? is what they send right and then they were asked would they send their kids to school and they said yes every, every five of them were interviewed five of them said yes and i'm like wow i talk about empathy i have empathy for parents that have to make that decision you know it is tough yep it yep. is tough and and you know you and i don't have to make those choices and yeah. I'm, I'm glad we don't yeah, but i know yeah empathy is the key and and you tied in again a great point back to the very beginning of this conversation is is how do we know who to trust and yeah. how do we know what the facts are because this is a novel situation a novel virus we don't know exactly how it behaves they experts don't know how to, it behaves we take all the best information from those experts and we have to trust them and when you see conflict and you see disagreement in the news it makes for a very uh, difficult decision and that's why i think we're in the state we're in today and and living and i keep saying it's living in our new reality or just living with covid and everybody's going to have to make their own hopefully informed choices hopefully intelligent choices hopefully choices that put others before ourselves in many ways because that's what i think makes for a good society that's what makes our american experiment unique is that we're not told at the uh, you know butt end of a rifle what to do and and have to f comply to you know, totalitarian type dictates, but we do things that are best for ourselves, our families and our neighbors. And it's a very complicated situation. And, and because no one size fits all, we have to each look at our locality, our geography, our personal situation, our personal ability to affect things. And, and that's really where it comes down to me is like, I'm give everybody else the freedom to make those choices, but please do it in mm -hmm. a way that that keeps um, your neighbor in mind and then control what you can control and then turn off the news and don't worry about all these other big decisions that are being argued about because most of us can't really in, 
impact those decisions. We can mm-hmm. only uh, take care of our own responsibility and, and do what we can do uh, to help each other. So I don't know. That's that's just. I don't think that's not a political statement. That's just yep, a, I know. A, a, a opinion about, you know, how I think we could all make it through together if we if we keep keep those terms like empathy and and uh, service to others in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I know we're up on time, but it, there is one one I just wanted to touch on very, very quickly, which sure. is about the AI related to hand washing, where basically an AI camera yeah. can tell you if you've actually washed your hands correctly. And it can give you a score. <laughs> now we think about this. Now it, it, we, yeah. we kind of laugh and we kind of giggle about this. But you know, if you think you bring this into the workplace, right? And basically, if an individual is in a bathroom and they're washing their hands, and then they're able to get scored, and people around them can actually see how this is working, is that good or bad? If you can enter a restaurant and you're able to see those things, a scoring of how people wash their hands. Is this a good thing? So there's a lot of different ways that we can sort of take this and run with this. I don't know what your thoughts are whenever you just thought this was a gimmick or what, you know, I, I just think no, the I greatness it, of technology. it ties to what know? I just said. What yeah. do you think of it? Because I think it ties to what I just said. It's like, are we gonna, really going to babysit people watching their hands using AI technology? And what if they don't? What if they don't wash their hands properly? Does a big alarm bell go off and, uh, you know, the police come in and stand over their shoulder? And well, I, I see that type of thing is where we're, when people don't behave and people don't take personal responsibility, and this could be applied to any number of situations, and that's the way we are as a society today, unfortunately. I think the framers of our Constitution created the, this system of based on the fact that they trusted people would, would follow the, um, their own personal moral compass and be people that were self-governing. It's a self-governing system. And the, the less people are capable or willing to self-govern and do the right things on their own, the more the government needs to come in and make a new law and a new a requirement and a new AI robot to, to look over your shoulder and tell you what to do and make sure you're doing it and treat us like children. So sadly, that is the way <laughs> we are today. Is, and that's where a big percentage of our society will not do the right thing unless there's a law against it or there's someone with a gun in their face saying, do the right thing. I say that metaphorically. I mean, yeah. that's just like... Yeah. The, the idea of authority telling you to do what's right as opposed to you doing what's right on your own. And that's what makes this so very difficult and so challenging. Do you agree? Is that is No, that no, absolutely. I, of, course, of course it does. Of course it does. And I think about restaurants, right? You know, we, we, we have concerns about restaurants these days. Now, what if you take this AI and they're able then to transform everything through and say your, say your plate, right, was you're able to track the individual who's delivering your food AI is able to track what basically people are doing within that kitchen and, and then you get a rating, it gets a rating, it's put on Yelp, whatever it is, you're able to then judge how things go because if things are not tracked, things get lost, things don't get done. And uh, to your point, society, unfortunately, don't doesn't often follow what is the right thing to do sometimes, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all capable. We're, we're all at fault at times, right? I'm not oh, no, I'm far from perfect I mean, at it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah we, need to, we need to encourage that along. And maybe if, it, again, it's all about tools being and technology being neutral tools mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and these capabilities, they come out of the gates, whatever it is, it's a neutral thing. How it's used makes it a good or a bad thing. And for some reason, based on our history as human beings, we find just as many people will take a tool or a, a great thing that, is able to help people in many ways and they'll make it, they'll manipulate it and they'll use it as a, a, a way to, you know, yeah, steal, corrupt and, and bring things down. So I don't know. It's, it's a very challenging time we live in, but, but the idea, I don't laugh at the idea. I think 
using technology as a way yeah. to help keep us safe and hold people accountable is a good thing in general. How it's executed is going to be the uh, the thing I'd want to see in practical terms. I'm, I'm kind of a pragmatist in that regard. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, look, thank you, Mike. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for watching. Oh, thank you. And, uh, you know, again, if you liked if you liked this, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you're alerted to everything else comes up. And as, as Mike P finishes up his, uh, his view this morning, yup, we'll leave it there. <laughs> <Yep>. Cheers. <laughs>